Good morning. Welcome back to Intrepid Radio, the show that brings you the world's most intrepid people. I'm your host, Todd Schnick, joined today by a guy I have admired for many years now. I'm really, really excited to get the chance to visit with him. Say hello to Gary Vaynerchuk. He is the co-founder and CEO of VaynerMedia, best-selling author, speaker. You probably remember him from Wine Library TV. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks, buddy, Todd. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for making some time to join us uh Gary, gosh, there's so many things we could talk about. When I uh, uh, mentioned to a few friends that that I was going to get the chance to visit with you, they all had a million wine questions. Uh, but with, I, I have something bigger <laughs> I want to talk. There's something bigger I want to talk about. I, I, I like the idea of a discussion around pivots, and I'm not really talking about a startup uh, in its early growth phases and making a, a needed pivot. Uh, I'm talking about life pivots and business pivots and I just thought it would be an interesting conversation because I think you've made one that is the impetus for the conversation. I mean, it wasn't long ago that you were every day putting out these, this Wine Library TV, which is kind of the thing that made you and made you Internet famous and got you exposed to, to the world. You were an enormously successful uh, public speaker traveling the world. You published and promoted two best-selling books. But all of a sudden, I feel like 2012 was, it was a very, very quiet year for Gary Vaynerchuk, and, and I, I suspect it was largely a focus on the family, but also building VaynerMedia. I, I, the, the question for you is, a lot of people wouldn't have the ball to to stop what was so amazingly successful and do something in a completely different direction that had a lot of risk. Talk about that. Wow, this is really exciting. You know, as you know, this is part of my interview at Day thing that I'm doing in 2013. Probably, probably trying to fix the fact that I was so quiet in 2012. And I, and I'm excited because I think people are going to be challenged to ask me new questions. And I can tell you that like where you, the, the uh, issue you're barking up is very interesting. And I think a lot of people that follow me are going to be really excited about this interview. I think this is God, I think you really barked up a good tree and I've got a lot of intriguing things to say. And I haven't said them publicly. So thanks for asking such an awesome question. I would say it comes from a couple of different things. Number one, in general, I think that I'm going to have several rodeos in my career business-wise because it's just how I'm wired. You know, seven, ten, twelve-year runs and then and then just get into something else just because I have a feeling that's my appetite, my DNA. It's what I did when I was a little kid. It was baseball cards, then comic books, then toys, then wine. So... It's a bit of theme at this point that I think will obviously continue. But there's a bigger reason I think this one happened. Um, you know, I operated and built a business, head down, very quiet, for eight years, building Wine Library. You said in the question, Wine Library TV is kind of what made me, which is true, but not for me, right? For me, it was the 10 years I put in day-to-day that gave me the opportunity to be good enough on Wine Library TV to then make these. So in essence, I think the work I put in prior to that made me. Obviously, you're right, Wine Library TV did make me. It was my public way to go. Uh, then I started building my business brand. And, and what really happened for me in 2012 was in 2011, I just felt like I was a talking head and, and becoming a pundit. And I was losing respect for myself for not operating. I believe that the people that are really making things happen and actually executing are far more interesting than the people that are socially commentating on top of it. I've learned how much value the social commentating is, and that for me, being a good storyteller, I think I help people, and I, I think that I bring a lot of value. I get it. But um, at the end of the day, I definitely had a, uh, a big passion to operate and build again and build another large business, 
because I thought it would give me even more credence and clout to continue to talk. So I think the way you get permission to go around and speak and write books and tell people, quote-unquote, what to do is by actually doing something before you do that. And I felt there was too many people in our space that hadn't done things and had just become bloggers or, or speaking heads or, quote-unquote, social media experts. And I wanted to remind the market, and more importantly, remind myself that I was a doer, that I was different than the far majority of everybody, that what bought me permission was building a $60 million wine business, and I wanted to do it again, and that's really why it happened. Well, it's not just any consultancy. I mean, it's a, it, you, you don't have four or five clients. I mean, you have some marquee names, and you've built this business with, hell, I think well over 100 employees now. I mean, it, it, it's not yeah, just... Yeah, so we, so we went from 20 five to 200 employees in one year with me driving it. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, and we do have the NFL and GE and and Unilever and PepsiCo and, you know, the Oprah Winfrey Network and on and on and on. So we're working with Fortune 100's biggest companies in the world. We're creating content and strategy and community around the social media and, and digital genres. And, yeah, it's a big company. I mean, I, I didn't realize how big it was until I started looking at the other digital shops and they've been around for 10 and 20 years and are half the size of us. So we've done a lot in the three years that we've been in business. Gary, I've seen you give a lot of presentations. I've listened to you on a lot of different radio shows and all. And I, I've heard you say it once. I've heard you say it a thousand times. It's in my DNA. And you said at the top of mm-hmm. this show, it's how, it's how I'm wired. Let me ask you mm-hmm. this question. This, this fire in the belly and what, 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 what you inspire in so many people is this passion. And this enthusiasm and this vigor. And, and, and my question to you is this. Is it, are you lucky in that you are in fact wired that way and that it is in your DNA? And, and is it, I guess my question is, is that possible for all of us? Yeah. I think that it's circumstantial. Um, but I think you could expand on it. I mean, it's grown for me. You know, it's there. Um, but I've watched it. I mean, I've watched people that I've motivated that have been around me have more vigor and hunger and, and motivation. So I do think it's there for everybody. I think for me, you know, it's the it's not only, you know, the characteristics and the quote unquote the DNA that I got from my parents, but don't forget, I wasn't born in America. I'm I'm much more driven by gratitude than anybody that's listening to this right now. And I mean ninety nine percent because I'm sure there's a couple of people that have a similar backstory. So, you know, Todd, I, I was born in Belarus and, and in the former Soviet Union, right now Belarus actively is the last, uh, you know, dictatorship in all of Europe. With my DNA of being a capitalist and entrepreneur, I'd be dead or in jail if I stayed in Belarus. But I was able to get out of that country during the Cold War and go to the U.S., a place where I'm heralded and being asked to interview and, and famous for those skill sets. So I'm completely driven by gratitude that my parents worked so hard that, you know, I was unfortunate in some ways. I lost three of my four grandparents, really, two of my four grandparents before I was born, one right after. So I haven't had a lot of death in my family. And so, you know, I'm just thankful. And and that's where a lot of this comes from. I'm just aware of all the gifts I was given and the circumstances. I almost feel a sense of responsibility to execute against it. And also, because I'm a communicator and storyteller, some form of sense of responsibility to paint pictures to people of how good it actually is and how much opportunity there really is. It's just there's no shortcuts, and I'm not, I'm never going to allow anybody to, to waver from that. 
Well, I, you, you don't have to be from Belarus to to operate from the a foundation of gratitude. I mean, we all can observe our life and where we are and what we're doing and what we have the ability to do. And, and if we operate from that, that, that can alone can, can affect the Now, here's the thing, though. But here's the thing. A lot of people listening to this, their context in life, they've had things. You know, maybe not a lot of things, but, you know, I don't think we realize how lucky we are. I mean, I, I would beg to argue that if you're listening to this interview right now, you're in the top 2 or 3% of luckiest people in the world based on where you were born, how the economic aspects of, you know, just the opportunities. And I just don't think people realize that. And I think that they um, – they go through life hoping and, and not realizing how much there's an opportunity to execute it. And then on top of that, now we're living in, you know, the most democratic business world of all time, which is the Internet. What the, what the United States and England did for the world, the Internet is doing all over again in a way that's just remarkable. The stakes have never been higher, but the opportunity has never been higher. Gary, we, we all we all understand that fear holds most people back, and and if there's one thing that you're not, uh, is certainly not appear fearless. There's probably things every day that scare you. What do you say to the guy that comes up to you, Gary? Oh, I wish I could do that, but I'm just afraid. What do you, what do you say to that guy? You know, I mean, you can't change. And listen, you know, I mean, my dad's fearful and conservative after he hit a certain point because he didn't want to lose it because he knew what it was. You're not going to convince anybody any different. What I would say is this. It's shockingly easy in today's world to change your circumstance by doing something online because the costs are so low and the scale is so big. So I, I, I would say that, you know, you're probably conservative or fearful by the way you were brought up or the things that you've known. By respecting how different the world is right now than the way you grew up, I think starts to maybe quantify in your mind why why there's an opportunity. I, you know, it's funny. The people that are most fearful are actually the ones that are most practical and and most data-driven or quantified because they understand what the risk means. To me, the best way to speak to somebody like that is not emotional. The people that are emotional are the ones that take risks because they're driving based on the way their, their emotions are. It's the people that are quantifiable and very practical and articulate and very detail-oriented that are actually the most fearful, and if they actually took that same approach to understanding what the web has become and how fertile those grounds are and understood those are that's impacting the opportunity, I, I actually speak to the more practical side when I'm trying to convince them of the opportunity. Gary, uh, the, the idea of someone coming up with an idea, no, no matter how big or how small it is, is, is an important thing. A lot of people struggle with, with the, the creativity to come up with the idea, mainly because they're afraid, and they've done analysis, as you suggest, that, oh, it might not work, so maybe it's not worth doing. But, but speak to how you I, – I, I just I want, I want to hear you talk about, all right, once I have an idea, that's great. Ideas are worthless, though, unless they're actually executed. And I, and I, want, to use, I want to use this one-a-day interview idea as kind of the, the basis for the conversation because I remember the tweets back in the end of the year – we said, hey, I'm thinking about doing one interview a day. Now, I'm a professional podcaster. I, I do a lot of podcasting. I know what I know what the commitment that is and what a lot of damn work that is and to schedule it and to manage it and, and all that. Uh, but you're doing it. There's a million people who've said, oh, I ought to do an interview a day, but no one did it. You've done it. Talk about and, and how that parallels <laughs> to other people who sure. work with ideas but never do a damn thing about it. 
Let's talk about it in a couple ways. It's a good question. Uh, first of all, thank you, but I haven't done it yet. I'm, I'm still early. Uh, you know, it's kind of like I'm going to run a, uh, you know, a 10 mile marathon. Just because you start running the first leg doesn't mean you're going to do it. So I appreciate the encouragement. I think you know me well enough to know I'm going to do it, but it is hard. Uh, here's the one thing with me. Couple things. One, I think too many people fall in love with one or two ideas and become romantic about it and then want to see it through. I've met so many people in my life that are stuck on one or two ideas and just they grasp onto it and hold onto it because maybe somebody they respect said it was a good idea or who knows why. To me, I think that's a really different approach than what I have going on with me, which is I've got 40 ideas throwing in my head almost every day. It's just the way I live my life. I'm always thinking of ideas. The way this idea came, and what's happening is with those 30 ideas, what happens is I'll have 10 ideas in my mind right now. Six I'll decide aren't good enough. Four will stick around. Tomorrow I'll wake up with those four. Ten more pop up then it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a tournament. And if something can stick around for like 30 days, then I start talking to AJ, who's one of the few people I've had ideas through, my brother, partner, Vayner. But mainly I talk to myself over and over and over and, and get to a place. And, and most of the, you know, I didn't talk to AJ about this one, for example. So, you know, I, I just met them. Uh, the interview a day and every idea I come up with always comes from one core place, which is I reverse engineer, meaning I figure out what the finish line is first, and then I work backwards. So I think mobile's underrated. I think mobile e-commerce is underrated. So I'm thinking of a lot of mobile e-commerce business, e-commerce mobile only ideas, because I think that's going to grow. So because I believe that's going to be much bigger in three or five years from now, and I believe in it so much, all my ideas are reversing into that thesis, and that's how I play. I felt that I was quiet in 2012, that so much was put into VaynerMedia, that I have a book to sell in September, and so I need to get back out there, and that I feel a little detached from my community. So instead of doing CNN and Inc. and Fast Company and all that, I, I, the combo of the feelings, which was detached from my community as much as I want to be, more close to them, being out there more, you know, that led itself to the idea of doing it an interview a day and not worrying about how big the audience size was, make it about the people that actually follow me and care about me because I know that they, A, can leverage my name to build their own game, and that feels nice to help other people, and B, you know, they'll be thankful because they have contacts from me, and they probably always wanted to interview me, but realize that I'm usually only doing 10 or 15 a year, and those are going to be relegated to the USA Today and CNN often. Well, uh, let me tell you, I'm grateful for the time, and I appreciate you doing it. And, and again, I do I do respect it because I, I know uh, the, the work and time that, that goes into it. Gary, this, this idea of it's like an investor who makes 10 investments knowing that none of them are going to fail, but the one's going to pay off that will afford his next 10 investments. It, it, that same concept almost applies with ideas, right? Yeah, I think there's, you know, and, and by the way, on my, I do a lot of angel investments. We have 50 investments at this point. I haven't gone that route. To me, it's been about the individual person. So if I believe in the person, I'll make the investment because then I have a 10 out of 10 relationship. I'm not worried about the return. I'm hoping to get 1 out of 10, 2 out of 10, 1 out of 15. So you're right about that. But I think I layered the actual people part on top of it. So anybody who's listening to this is an angel investor. I don't care how good the idea is. If you don't like the person and you don't want to do this with them in the future, I think it's a bad investment. Yeah, I hear you on that. As far as the idea, as far as your – I just prolificated there. As far as your actual question – yeah, you know, I, I absolutely. Oh my God, I, I don't even think it's that close. I'm probably at seven thousand ideas for one every execution. I mean it. You know, that's uh, just kind of where I'm at. But that's what it takes, and that's why I, I struggle to understand why so many people out there 
don't don't seem to understand that. And and, and I'm asking you because I want I want someone to hear that. I want them to understand that it's okay to to throw noodles against the wall because something 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 is going to stick. And, and I just I just I just it's a mystery, Gary, as to why so many people struggle. Well, with that you know what? I'll, I'll be very honest. Listen, Pat, it's it's hard to execute. So okay, so I think people believe you. But it's daunting to go and execute lots of ideas. I mean, it takes a lot of hard work. I mean, I think one thing that people people don't understand. I, I, one thing I'm finding out of these interviews today that has definitely come become clear to me, and, and I want to say it with, with force in this interview, you know, being good at executing businesses is a talent no different than being able to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball or serving at 150 miles an hour, or being able to sing like Beyonce, I think for a long time now, we haven't respected that business skills is, is an actual talent. Some people just don't have it. Like, I recognize that if I could make a 35-foot jump shot over and over and over again, I could play basketball for millions and millions of dollars a year and, and do that for a living. But I just didn't have the skill to do it or didn't put in the time. I mean, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who have not been a business person since they were five years old like I have. I mean, you know, you got to put in the time. And so, you know, it's a skill. I mean, there's just some people who can't do it. Listen, I'll be very honest with you. I'll give you a great example. I'm doing this interview with you right now. It's one of the three or four best. You're, you're a better interviewer than everybody else that I've been interviewing. One of the reasons is because you do this and you've done it repetitively and it's that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000-hour thing. But another reason is, like, you know, there's some skills there that you tapped into. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Gary, one last thing I want to talk about, and I know it's very important, and frankly, I'm not kissing your ass, it's just one of the things I admire most about you is the intense focus on the family. And I feel like that, you, you, you talked earlier about this, the idea of, of operating from this foundation of gratitude, but, but I feel like people need, people need to pivot and, and recognize the importance and focus on the family, because I think if that, I think that's weak. In, in far too many people's lives, and that they could, and that's a constant battle that I'm facing. Talk about how important that is, and why that has impact on every other element of your life. I, you know, I fully don't expect all my business partners to be at my deathbed. That's why, right? And so, you know, they're the one, you know they're the ones that are going to always be there for you, whether you're up and down. Um, there's just an, you know, something that's always hit me is I've grown up in an amazingly loving family. I've I've noticed friends and families and colleagues and, and contemporaries who grew up in a family where, let's say, their dad was out of the picture for 20 years and now back in the picture and the intense want and need for love out of that out of that parent and vice versa. There's just something ingrown that when you come from somebody or you produce someone, there's a very emotional bond there. There's nobody closer. Um, there's nobody that you can trust more. And, you know, it's interesting. I spend my life, VaynerMedia right now, I have people that I believe in, right? And I'm spending every minute of my life trying to somehow formulate a relationship that looks similar to one that I naturally have with AJ, right? So there's something just very special about family, and I just believe in it. Um, I, I, it's the thing I find the most balancing that, balancing my own happiness to do my own stuff once in a while, just all those kind of things, versus all the business stuff that I do, which is 24-7, versus the fact that I have two young kids now and want to spend more time with them. I've started getting more extreme. Um, I'm vacationing more often and completely checking out. And then when I'm home, I'm working harder. And so that's actually working for me. For somebody that's trying to balance, I would tell you that sometimes the, the way to win is on the edges. 
And that's where I think I'm getting my victories, spending more time completely MIA and vacationing more to let the Monday through Thursday and Fridays that happen normally, those are now becoming 11 p.m. nights instead of what used to be 8 p.m. nights because they're trying to spend some time with Liz, but now with the kid dynamic. So I'm finding balance in the extremities. Well, I, I like that, and that the, the focus on the family needs to be on the extreme. I think that's a that's a nice way to close it. Gary, you've got 7,000 ideas to execute on, and I'll let you go. Before I do, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they learn about your work, and where can they learn more about VaynerMedia? Yeah, so, you know, I would say the real place to go is Facebook.com slash Gary, G-A-R-Y. Leave a comment on the wall, or Gary B on Twitter if you want a quick response. I'm always scattering that. That's G-A-R-Y-V-E-E-E. As far as VaynerMedia, it's VaynerMedia.com. There's nothing there. We're really not taking on clients right now. So if, you don't, if you're not taking on clients, you don't really need to tell a story, you know, at some level. And that's how confident I am in us doing good work so that we keep those clients and get clients from those clients. Um, yeah, so that's really kind of where I'm at. All right, Gary, when's the next book coming out? It's going to come out in September October. It's going to be called Jab, 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 Right Hook, Five Jab, Jabs, I'm going six there the future of storytelling or, or how to get your story across in a, in a busy world. There's just a lot of content being thrown out there. So how do you break through? It's something I think about a lot. And, you know, how do you storytell on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Tumblr, and those kind of things. Outstanding. Well, we'll have to get you back on the show to talk about that when that comes out. Gary, thank you so much for making time to Thanks, join us today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate All it. Stay right. well. well. Thank you. All right. Well, that, that wraps this show on behalf of today's guest, Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on Intrepid Radio.